want a bit of the quiet life. I want a bit of self-indulgence. If there is reading, give me all of it. Join the show on the Microbrew Radio. Listen to Jim, Wendy, and Emily. Join in the conversation. I want to hear it. I want to read it. I want a bit of Shelf Indulgence. Good evening. Good day. Welcome to this week's episode of Shelf Indulgence. Uh, your weekly dose of everything bookish from Microbrew Radio. You've got myself, Jim, and tonight I'm joined by Wendy, as usual. Good evening. And we will be taking a oh a foray down a well well deserved path a path that Wendy and I have been wanting to go down for a long time tonight and in a way visiting and mourning an old friend but celebrating an old friend too yeah definitely celebrating an old friend um so the topic of tonight's program ladies and gentlemen is the biography Terry Pratchett, A Life with Footnotes, which is the official biography by Rob Wilkins, Terry's um, PA of the later half of his career, shall we say. Um, Right. Do we want to... Should we wander into Poetry Corner first, Wendy? Yeah, let's do Poetry Corner first. Would you like to go first? I will. Um, when I was looking for a poem then uh, for this week, um, this um, this book that we've been reading is quite a poignant book. Um, and it's left me at times wanting to weep, but it's also left me really smiling. And I thought to myself, do you know what? That's what happiness is, isn't it? Because without, without shade, you've got no light. Um, so I wanted to do something that was a bit uplifting. So I bought a poem called Happiness by George Savage. You cannot buy your happiness because happiness is free. Don't you know or can't you guess? It's there for you and me. And what you do with what you've got can change the way you feel. Just do your best and smile a lot. You'll keep an even keel. Because happiness is made for you. Just take a bite and see. That happiness is what you do with something that is free. Oh, I like that. It just, it just, yeah. It sits nicely, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And what have you bought for us tonight? Well, um... So we were. I was. I was tempted to try and find a poem about Terry, a poem about um, the things that he wrote uh, about. Maybe even a poem he wrote himself. I didn't know whether he ever. I'm sure he must have at some point because the man was prolific. Um, but I decided in the end I would uh, bring a poem by J.R.R. Tolkien. Because in many ways we have J.R.R. Tolkien to thank for Terry Pratchett. Yeah. Um, so I, I bring this offering to you all. It is called I Sit Beside the Fireside. Sorry, I Sit Beside the Fire and Think. I sit beside the fire and think 
of all that I have seen, of meadow flowers and butterflies in summers that have been, of yellow leaves and gossamer in autumns that there were, with morning mist and silver sun and wind upon my hair. I sit beside the fire and think of how the world will be when winter comes without a spring that I shall ever see. For still there are so many things that I have never seen. In every wood, in every spring, there is a different green. I sit beside the fire and think of people long ago, and people that will see a world that I shall never know. But all the while I sit and think of times that were before, I listen for returning feet and voices at the door. Well, that's lovely, isn't it? I thought there was something poignant in relation to tonight's topic there. Mm. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, it just it touched me in, in. I mean, God, you could choose so much of uh, talking, but yeah, th- that one just made me quite reflective upon what mm. we've been reading. Yeah, I agree. So Terry Pratchett, a life with footnotes. Here is a biography that you and I have both been. I would say. If tell me if I'm not being fair here, Wendy, but it's possibly one of those books that we both have really been looking forward to reading, but at the same time have probably been putting off because we know that once it's read, it's read. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. Um, and and for me, this is an unusual one because you know, Jim, I'm not a biography reader no. or an autobiography reader. It's not something that I do. I know you you have read quite a lot, but it's just not one of the genres that I looked at really very much. So I wasn't sure how I'd come to this, but I'm so pleased we've read it so that we can review it because I absolutely love it. Yeah, it's it, it touches you in deep places. I wonder whether, and maybe it's fault of us, in some way that we've not managed to find ourselves a non-Terry Pratchett fan to review this with us. Because I wonder whether it would have the same, or it definitely wouldn't have the same um, effect for somebody who wasn't a Pratchett fan, but I wonder whether they'd enjoy his story. I think... I think his story is enjoyable, isn't it? But the thing that gets me... And the thing that I think I need to say right at the outset of this is that this is a book that is written by somebody who loved him and it's written as a homage to his ability and his talent. And for me, that comes through loud and clear, that this is written by a friend for a friend. Um, And I just, I love the whole tone of it, Jim. Yeah, and I think you hit the nail on the head there because it is someone who loved him, truly loved him, because he loves even his not-so-positive parts. Yes. 
he loved him warts and all. Mm. Um, so Terry Pratchett, for those who may not know, is acclaimed author of the fantasy series The Discworld. Terry um, was born um, in the post-war years. He didn't come from uh, wealth. He didn't come from status. He came from very humble beginnings. And I think what you learn through this book is that... Oh, I mean, I suppose I would say, Wendy, in as much as the nature-nurture argument will never be over because they are intrinsically linked, I think whatever road Terry would have gone down, he'd have probably ended up in the same place. Yeah, I, I think that when you have a talent like, and I, whether you like his books or not, you have to, even if you're objective, totally objective, and you stand outside and you look at his body of work, it is absolutely impressive, regardless of whether you like his stories, whether you like the genre or not. His output was prolific. The quality for me never dropped in anything that he wrote. Never. He could turn his hand to children's books, to adult books. Um, he wasn't a one-trick pony. His sense of humour came through. But for me, what came through as well was his dedication to his craft. Yeah. Um, in that he took it terribly seriously. And no. it, it always was, it was going to be the best that he could possibly produce. And And I have to take my hat off to people like that because... For me, any job worth doing is worth doing well. And that almost could have been the motto he lived his life by. Yeah, Terry was never going to do anything worthwhile in a half-hearted manner. No. Um, I think I particularly enjoyed his early years. Um, You know his start and and the just the the way he discovered literature and discovered these worlds and discovered libraries and secondhand bookshops yes yeah um and you know i couldn't help and I, I, I don't you know i'm not trying to say i'm anything like the great man but i couldn't help but feel a kinship there in my love for libraries and second-hand bookshops. Yeah, and but I think that's something that um, that passionate and avid readers share because to us a book is a book. It doesn't matter whether it's brand new, whether it's second-hand, you know, whether it's gifted, whether it's bought. It's something to be treasured, and, and that comes through loud and clear in his early years. It was something, they were things to be treasured. Yeah, uh, and and some of the ways that he tracked down really quite obscure titles and followed obscure authors is because of a love of literature, a love of words that he had. Yeah, I do. I do have to say, I'm slightly unhappy with him because 
he has given me a longer to be reading list. Yes, I wondered <laughs> about that. I, tell you, I found myself starting to Google some of the titles that are mentioned in the They're on my wish list already. <laughs> I, as I was going through, I was adding them to the wish list. Um, I think just, but I mean, I knew he was a fan of Tolkien, which, you know, something I share with him. I love Tolkien. But then what was a really heartwarming moment for me was to discover that his first real love of a book was also one of my favourite all-time stories, which is that of The Wind in the Willows. Mm, yes. Which which actually he came to quite late in life, didn't he? He wasn't a, he wasn't a small child when he came to that book. No, and also he was also... Um, you know, he wasn't a naturally inclined reader in no. the early days. No. You know, uh, it, it it tells the story of his mother blackmailing him. Was it a penny a page? Yeah, yeah, penny a page. Um, to read in his early years. And, you know, he wasn't daft and he was like, yeah, I can drone my way through a page if, it, if it's going to owe me a penny. Um, but equally then when he discovered... When he scored the good stuff, you know, it lit a fire. Yeah, absolutely. It lit a fire. A fire that burned brightly until his very last days. Yeah, yeah. And and I've always wondered with with Terry Pratchett, he's he writes parody like nobody else has ever done, in my opinion. I think he's phenomenal at it. He, it is it is his unique art form. Oh, without a doubt. He just has this ability to look sideways at every topic. Um, and that has to come from somewhere because that's not just imagination. That is a particular way of thinking and seeing the world. And I've always wondered where that came from. And there's a there's a a piece in the book where he talks about his upbringing and the fact that his his mother was a lapsed Catholic and she never practiced um in his memory anyway she never practiced religion it was never a part of what they did um but she always kept some of those tokens for some there reason one, there was never, one in particular wasn't there there was one in particular and the way he saw that made me laugh out loud and he, he found his mother used to keep a crucifix, a little wooden crucifix in her drawer. And he went rummaging one day and he found it. And he came running into her and said, Mom, look at this. He said, I found a stick with an acrobat on it. Now, that is just so Terry Pratchett. Yeah. It just is. And that was long before Discworld and all of the characters and everything. He had a unique way of seeing things and seeing the world, which wasn't contrived. It was natural. It came from within. And I was so pleased when I read that because what it meant, it added a level of authenticity to his plot writing and, and the story and the world that he created, which was, which was Discworld. Are you looking for a radio station that does everything you want it to and more? Well, you're in luck. Because Microbrew Radio is here, and now we're ready for new people to come down and start a new journey. It's a radio station just for you, for everybody in the community. So if you've got a talent that you want to share, or if you've got a passion for music, then come on down now 
and get ready to start your new life as a presenter or something more at Microbrew Radio. It's Microbrew Radio, the radio for you. Entirely, and I, I'd like to just read from the book, if I may, Wendy, uh, a, a separate bit that I think it illustrates that same point. Okay. It was never just imagining things. Sometimes, Terry said, the product of his childhood mind was so vivid to him, so entirely real, that they were closer to hallucinations than imaginings, as solidly located in the space in front of his eyes as his parents were, or his house, or the village he first lived in. Like the time when tramping through the disused chalk pit near home, he saw the skeletons of fish swimming in the ground below his feet. Presumably a connection in his mind went with the microfossils which he'd recently learned about at school, or more likely read about in a library book. Yet somehow now reanimated and actually squirming and darting around underneath him in the chalk dust. Or like that time, aged five, when he was taken to see Father Christmas at Damage's department store in London and wandered dreamily away from his mother, only to be found by her later riding the escalators and voyaging solo through the festive decorations with head upturned in a state of rapt awe, entirely oblivious to the panic he had caused. Seeing Father Christmas that day had been important and memorable too, of course, although Terry confessed that he hadn't, hadn't actually had the courage to meet the great man's gaze because, as Terry related it, you cannot look on the face of a god. But the plight to the North Pole aboard the wooden aeroplane, so the flight to the North Pole aboard the wooden aeroplane, the painted clouds on canvas, cranking squeakily past the plane's windows, the team of elves in the reception party, that had all burned itself into Terry's imagination too. It's just that it hadn't burned itself as strongly as the glittering universe under one roof, which was the department store itself, dressed for Christmas. And what about the train that had brought them to the city that day? Those trains seemed friendly enough when you were inside them and riding in them. But from outside on the platform, their roar, their thunder, their billowing blackened steam, the way they seemed to try to suck you up behind them as they smashed through the station at speed. Those things were clearly alive and altogether demonstrably demons, weren't they? The five-year-old Terry thought so. He wasn't being entirely metaphorical. Many years later, when he described himself in interviews as hallucinating gently for a living, he seems to have discovered very quickly that there were things within things, worlds within worlds, wholly visible, practically tangible, and certainly available for storytelling, if you could only be allowed a bit of space and time to see them. Yeah, I I loved that passage. And, and the description of what he does for a living, gently hallucinating for a yeah. living. I just loved it, absolutely loved it. And his ability to just see things that is, you know, just from, just from left field, yeah. absolutely brilliant. Uh, yeah, uh, this book has... Moved me. It's made me laugh out loud. It's made me tear up. It's made me add a hundred odd books to my wish list. It's it's made me. Um, it's made me write. It's made me. You know. It's inspired me. Um. What what a book. What a life. What a story. And like you say, I think actually. Because part of the book is in Terry's own words, because he did initially set out at one point to write an autobiography, but it never happened. And so 
his PA, Rob, um, became tasked with the job of looking over the notes of the autobiography and everything else and putting it together in his own style. And I think this book is better that it is a biography written by a loved one than if it were Terry telling his own story. Yeah, I think he adds different dimensions to it, doesn't he? Because he sees he, he sees him from the outside, in as it were, mm. and and can and I just I love the the device that he uses around adding the footnotes because Terry Pratchett loved a footnote. It's just it's so in keeping with him, and the footnotes really give you a different perspective on the situation or the time that he's describing. Um, and I just love them. And I thought at first, when I when I first started to read the book, I thought they'd become an irritation or a distraction. And I just loved them more and more as we went through the book. I just, it's a very, very clever way of doing it. But I'm not sure you could do it with anybody other than with Terry Pratchett. No, I don't think so. I, I don't know. I mean... I love biographies, and I think there's something about biography writing that I think means that to properly enjoy um, a biography, one must have a connection to the person. There, well, there are two types of biography for me, and not biography and autobiography. There are biographies that I read because I liked the person and want to know more about them. And there are biographies that are more of a historical recount. And they can equally be enjoyable for me. However, they don't have that same personal, they don't have the same emotional response. It's more that somebody led an interesting life or lived an interesting life or lived through challenging times. Um, whereas through something like this, there is such, there is such a flavour of the person in it. It's so personal. And I think the footnotes are such a particular way that Terry's mind worked that it, yeah. it couldn't have it couldn't have been written without them. No, I'd agree with that, and I I, I also think that when you read this book, um, you you get two books in one, because the first one is the subject, which is Terry Pratchett and Terry Pratchett's life, but the second one is the relationship between the two of them, Jim. Yeah. Yeah. No, and certainly I think we get aspects of the relationship between. Terry and others as well, because and even Rob and others, because you know you look at the dimensions of Rihanna, Terry's daughter, and there's someone who becomes a little more tangible for me because of the book. There, there was a quote I loved um, of hers when they went to Terry's uh, local library where his love of books began. It was she says uh, she when when they unveiled the plaque and she gave her speech. She said, um, Dad may have been born in... I'm having a scene moment. Where was he born? Um, Beaconsfield. Beaconsfield. Dad may have been born in Beaconsfield, 
but Terry Pratchett, the author, was born in Beaconsfield Library. Yeah. And it gives you an insight to these people who are very much a part of Terry's life. I think, moreover, as as two avid Pratchett fans, I think if you're an avid Pratchett fan, you can't help but know that he was not always the easiest of person to be in the company of. Um, he, he could be cantankerous. He could be quite hard on himself, I think. And that comes through in some of the writing, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It does. And I think one of the yeah, one of the most telling quotes is the the Neil Gaiman um, quote because he says, you know, he was people think he was really funny and that he was very light hearted. He said he was the most angry man I've ever met, and 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 actually that does come through in the book, the anger. Um, and it starts off, it's sort of a creeping anger, isn't it? Because it starts off really from when he's quite young by being completely and utterly underestimated by his by his teachers and by his peers. Um, and that must have caused frustration. Like, you know, he used to learn in his own way and at his own speed. And so the, the day when the teacher, you know, says, where does rain come from? Um, and he says the river. And his teacher laughs and says, don't be ridiculous, it comes from clouds. What he was referring to is actually he understood how precipitation worked. So he was right. And the fact that he, he, I think he describes it as going to school to be told that the things you know are right or wrong was a strange concept for him. So so that built up a little bit of that anger, but it just gathered pace as he got older. And he he didn't tolerate fools. And again, the, this is mentioned in the book, but he didn't tolerate fools at all. No. Um, and so you get this sense of him seeing things through his own lens. And I do wonder whether he could only write what he's written if he was able to be that single-minded about stuff. Yeah. Oh, no, I think so. Um, he was very, very strongly opinioned. Mm. Um, and that, you know, he, I think one of the things that is wonderful about his writing, and maybe that's the strength and what gave him the ability to write so prolifically. I mean, maybe you, you can add to this yourself as, you know, you are published. Uh, I'm not published, but I do write. Um, my biggest problem is self doubt. I'm forever altering, amending, editing because. I'm not sure that it's good enough. Mm. Whereas I don't feel like Terry would have ever written that way. He knew what needs to be written. He, he he used to pour out of him, but but then he would he would draft and redraft and redraft. Um, yeah. and, and the problem with somebody like him is that he had significant perfectionist tendencies. Um, from from the way Rob writes about him, he he had this drive for things to be the best they possibly could. Um, and in the end, I just got this vision of somebody having to wrestle the manuscript away from him yes. at the last minute so that he could go off to the publishers because yes. he, he just wouldn't let it go any other way. And um, and that for me, that's the mark of a good writer, that you can always look, doesn't matter how, how old your book is, whether it's on launch day or whether it's 10 years ago, you can always look at it and say, Do you know what, that could have been a bit better. Yeah. You've spent every day looking out that window. 
window wondering, where's my life going? Well, it's time to buck up, because now you know. Thanks to Microbrew Radio. Join Microbrew Radio now and find a direction, not just for yourself, but for your community, for your family, your friends, for everyone. Join now and become a presenter or just something more. Here at Microbrew Radio. Come down to the brew house and talk to us. We'll be happy to speak. Or if not, you can get in touch with us on our social media platforms at Microbrew Radio or microbrewradio at gmail.com. Microbrew Radio. The radio for you. So, I think at this juncture, let's let's just put a little pause into... Uh, Terry and take a brief look at what has Granny read because I don't leave it another week, Wendy, because I might get you won't be able to carry the pile up the stairs, will you? I, I might get squashed <laughs> by it. Um, so what's she been reading then? So, um, first on the list is, um, following me reading it for the show, she read The Last Princess by Shelley Wilson. Oh. Uh, she devoured it in about an hour, I think. <laughs> yeah, it, it was definitely less than a day. Um, she loved it. She really enjoyed it. Yeah, so uh, great praise for Shelley again there from Graham. Now, let's see. We've got The Blackbird by Tim Weaver. Um, An Impossible Disappearance, Notorious Murder, Only One Person Knows the Truth. Uh the Family Remains by Lisa Jewell, the story everyone has been waiting for. Their secrets can't stay buried forever. Um, James Patterson, Three Murders, Three Gripping Mysteries, Three Days to Live. Uh, Linda LaPlante, Vanished, Killers Don't Just Disappear. Anne Cleves, Burial of Ghosts. And Ant Middleton, Cold Justice, a thriller so real it hurts. Mm. Um, and she's now into the next C.J. Sampson. Oh, great. Okay. Um, I'm intrigued by her view about uh, Tim Weaver. I've just finished a Tim Weaver book, um, called, strange enough, called Vanished, um, which was an absolute page turner. Um, he wrote a series of books about a private detective well private investigator who specializes in finding lost people and um vanished is a particularly gripping tale um about a man who steps onto a train uh goes off to work in the morning steps onto a train and he's not seen again um and it's his job he's tasked with finding the person what happened to him and and he writes in a particularly um He's he goes through the process, the deductive process that the investigator uses um, to try and find clues to where the missing person is. So it's quite detail oriented, um, but it, but nevertheless, it's still quite gripping and it does pull you along. So I'd be interested in Granny's view of Tim Weaver. I know she enjoyed it. I can give you that much. Mm. 
but this is um, one of the David Raker series. Oh, right. I wondered whether it would be. Yeah. So it says on the back, seconds after CCTV footage captures Kate and Aidan Gascoigne driving home, their car suddenly plunges off the road into a ravine and explodes. When fire crews arrive, they find something impossible. The car is empty. Kate and Aidan have vanished. David Raker is an expert in solving missing persons cases, but as he links the Gascoigne's disappearance to an unsolved 40-year-old murder, he doesn't realise just how deep these secrets go. Or how close he's getting to the one person who knows the truth. Uh, she did say she thoroughly enjoyed it. In fact, everything here she has thoroughly enjoyed. She's, she, she's back to form on, the, on a, the genre that she is most comfortable at. So, you know, lots and lots of thriller, crime fiction, that sort of stuff. Um, Right, so, Terry Pratchett and a life in, with footnotes. What, for you, Wendy, was the highlight of the book? Was there a, was there a point of the book that... Was, is, there, is there a part of the Terry's story you can pick out as being the, the thing that really made it? that stood out for you or was there a certain aspect that ran through it that really worked for you or I for, for me I I love I love reading about his process so I love the inside track about how Terry Pratchett wrote his books because it's something I've fantasized about in terms of of being there you know if if ever I could have picked a moment to be a fly on a wall it would have been in one of his writing sessions. Um, and what became clear was that that was very much a solo activity until he employed a PA. And just the story about how he employs the PA is, is humorous. Um, but, but from then on, it, it becomes, it, it very quickly becomes dependent on that PA for all sorts of things. And you get an insight into the writing process with him. And I loved that. I absolutely loved it. And it was, it's poignant because towards, as the book moves on and he discovers his illness and what that means. And as that illness starts to take a grip, what you then get is how that writing process has to shift. Yeah. Um, and it shifts almost imperceptibly because by then the relationship between these two men is so close they can second guess each other and just that that and that's where i'm at at the moment just reading about that and the way it needs to change to accommodate what is happening is just um i, I just thought it was phenomenally um rendered and um and very very um, intimately told for me. I'm going to put you on the spot now, Andy. Um, though you reminded me of a couple of different things in your answer there, but one of them was um, the question that was put to Terry uh, many many years later than when he first discovered the author G.K. Chesterton. Um, he was asked. 
who would he nominate as guests for his dream writer's dinner party? Mm. And Terry's answer was G.K. Chesterton, Mark Twain and Neil Gaiman. Adding that he chose Chesterton and Twain for their literary prowess and the likely brilliance of their conversation. And that he chose Gaiman because he could be relied upon to locate good sushi. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So if you were going to have your dream writer's dinner party, who would you invite? Oh, that's just dead easy. Terry Pratchett. Agatha Christie. Um, I'm throwing me wild card in. Dan Brown. Oh. <laughs> you gotta have light and shade, Jim. You've, you've got, got to have light, light you've and got light and shade. shade. You've got to light and shade. You've got to have light and shade. And and probably um if I if I was pushed for a fourth one, probably I'd have Spike Milligan. Oh, what a what a choice, Wendy. What a choice. There was a man with a singular mind. Um I would choose We've only got one in, one in common, actually. Mm. I would choose Terry Pratchett, mm. Roald Dahl, mm. Tolkien, mm. and if I was pushed for a fourth, Dickens. Mm. And I'm instantly struck by the fact that there are no women on that list, which is very unlike me. The, the difficulty, it's, it's one of those chicken and egg situations though, isn't it, Jim? Because what you realize is because of the, because of the way that the world has been weighted, um, it's only now really in the last hundred years that women are starting to get a fair crack of the whip, really. Yes. Although having said that, you know, I think about, I mean, Agatha would be probably fifth on my list. Yeah. Because I love Agatha, and she definitely had a wonderful mind. Um, Terry and I had a um, a mutual acquaintance, believe it or not, in the author Jacqueline Wilson. Oh yes. And I I, I worked with Jacqueline a couple of times when I was working in theatre, when she came to talk to children about her books. And what a wonderful woman. Mm. Um. So yeah. You know, but anyway, um, so for me, I think the thing for me that was the highlight of this book, reading it, and I'll, I'll be honest, I haven't made it all the way through yet, but I that is partly because I, I don't want to read it too quickly. I don't want to force it down. I want to read Yeah, I know it. what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Um, but also I think there are, from what I've read, the highlight is Terry's asides that flow through the book. Yes, yeah, absolutely. All the way through. Um, like you say, the relationship between them was so great that Rob can speak with Terry's voice. He knows yes, he exactly can. what Terry would have said. That's absolutely and, right. And And there's this wonderful wonderful experience of him being back. Yeah, yeah. Um, Which leads me to my favourite quote on the back of the book from John Lloyd. Um, 
of all the dead authors in the world, Terry Pratchett is the most alive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think there's something to be said about the Clax Towers. Uh, and all Pratchett fans that are listening will instantly get that. But as long as a man's name is spoken, he's alive somewhere, isn't he? Yeah, that's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. Wake up. It's time to put on your walking shoes. Get ready for a walk. Walk up to your front door and take the walk outside of it. Walk down. Walk out. Get walking. Walk stronger. Walk faster. Walk harder. Walk like you've never walked before. Because now on your walk, you have the Microbrew Radio app in your pocket, playing all your favourite songs and shows on your walk. Well, I feel like it's kind of a pointless thing asking you to rate it, uh, and indeed asking me to rate it, but I'm going to. So, Wendy, scores out of five? Oh, it's got to be a five. I mean, if I'm honest, Jim, if I could give it a six, I would. And do you know what? Even though I'm a stickler for the rules, I think myself I would. Yeah. Um, before we started recording the show uh, today, Wendy and I briefly chatted and we both said, this is probably the best thing I've read in years. Mm. Um, it's made me want to go back and read the entire Discworld again. It's made me want to go and find the lesser-known works of Terry, some of which I've read and some of which I've not, and go back and read those again. Truckers, diggers, the carpet people. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, and moreover, it's, it's made me thirsty to read some of the the books that I've not read, that Terry read, that influenced him so greatly. Um. I think if I was to choose one quote from the whole book to give as a piece of advice to anyone, it would be um, words taken from a precocious 12-year-old library assistant in Beaconsfield. When asked, um, what would you recommend for a eight-year-old boy Terry would reply the book for a child with a reading age of 12 <laughs> yeah. yeah absolutely yeah why would you want to read a book that was recommended for your age group I would want to read the ones that were not recommended yeah let's 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 <laughs> yeah fabulous I don't yeah. want to read what's suitable for my age group I want to read the stuff that isn't that's absolutely yeah. right yeah um and, you know, moreover, go out there and, and do that. Share books, give books, inspire a love of reading. You never know where they might end up. No, that's absolutely right, Jim. Well, I, we're, we're slightly um, slightly short this evening. However, I think we've, we've reached a natural conclusion, unless you have anything to add in closing, Wendy. I'm going to leave my parting shot as this evening. I have had a shepherd's crown since it was published. 
and I haven't been able to read it. And tonight I've picked it up for the first time because I'm ready to read it now. I think maybe when I get to the end, I might be too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's one of those things of, yeah, I haven't wanted to read it because I know once I read it, there's no more. Exactly, exactly. But I'm ready to now, Jim. Well, in that way, I think I'm looking forward to to reading it. Well, ladies and gents, until we grace the airwaves and your ears again, happy reading. Happy reading, everybody. This show is part of Microbrew Radio, Burton on Trent's community radio station. You can hear this and plenty of other shows over on microbrewradio.com. Find our app on the iOS or Android stores, or just say, Alexa, play Microbrew Radio. And if you like what you hear, please let us know on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Thanks.